Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Come on, have a seat. Have a seat. We are excited. It is Christmas season. And for all of those, listen, it is officially time to play your Christmas music. Okay, now I, I know I have no control over that in your life. Some of you have been playing Christmas music since July. Uh, but I just want you to know for all of us normal people, uh, we, it's okay to bust out your, you know, Christmas song, your baby, baby, <laughs> your, your Christmas album that you jam now on uh, your Spotify uh, for all of those watching online, we love that you're watching. Uh, we're praying for you. Listen, throw in a, um, a an emoji or a thumbs up online. Let us know that you are here. We are starting a new series called Marvel. Marvel. What a wonderful Christmas season that we could marvel at a gift beyond words. Here's the thing that I think is super important for us as a church body, as believers, is, and I just want to kind of give you an insight into our culture as a church. If you have come or maybe you haven't been here uh, long and you're trying to figure out like who we are, uh, one of the best ways to do that would be to go through framework. Uh, but I just want to tell you my heart and, and the way when I look at Scripture, what the church is used for and, and what, it, what its hope is, is in Ephesians it says that this is what the church does. It equips the saints for the work of the ministry. And so, yes, we want to minister to the lost. We want to see the lost come in. We don't want anybody to feel like they can't come in because of heaviness or hurt or darkness or, or, or a mistake or a sin. And, and, and we definitely don't want anybody walking in feeling judged that they're not welcome in the room. Like that's not the heart of God. But my goal is also to equip the church in a, in a season of time where there is so much philosophy and there's so many loud voices that want to tell you how to think. The Bible is instrumental in teaching us how to think. And our goal as a church is that we want to get you saved. We want to get you discipled. We want to get you full of the Holy Spirit so that you can go outside and make a difference outside. And we believe your best day should be Monday through Saturday. And then we come in and we get coached up for the next week. That's how the kingdom expands. Okay, does that make sense? That means that we're all a part of the activity and, and, and the move to advance the kingdom. So in saying all that, here's the thought. When the church is not excited about Christmas, then what happens is the materialism, the buying of presents, the busyness of schedule begins to rob us of the meaning of why we are celebrating, and listen, the, the church can't forget to marvel at all that God did to provide this moment. Come on, you hear what I'm saying? And so we can't become these theology people, but really we give off this Scrooge vibe. 
where we're kind of like ball humbug. I don't know about you, but anybody have a favorite movie that you have a favorite movie? You watched it so much that it stopped being your favorite movie. Anybody have favorite food that you love so much and then you stopped eating it because you had it too much? I, I remember when we were dating, my wife and I, we were dating. She was not a cooker at that time. She could not cook. And um, and now she can. She can throw down, y'all. And, and, and so, uh, but when we were just starting, her our go-to was waffles. Waffles. That's what she could cook. And so we did waffles. I was like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, love was growing. So was my belly. And, and, and we had waffles and syrup and bacon. And it was like every Wednesday after service, we had waffles. And so, like, I was falling in love, y'all. I was falling in love. And so we had waffles for like a year. <laughs> and so our kids have grown up and we've had very few waffles. And my kids are like, hey, dad, have you, it's crazy that we can have things other than pancakes. They make these things called waffles. And both me and my wife look and we're like, yeah, we know. We have history with waffles. We don't do waffles. You can make waffles, but we, because we got tired of, well, here's what happens at Christmas is if you've been at church for any long, any length of time, you've heard Christmas sermons, you've heard the tying back to baby Jesus, you've heard the about the immaculate conception, you've heard about Mary's bravery and courage, and if you're not careful, this will be a rerun, and you will sit through service, and it will be, and you'll be, and you'll be here for 35 minutes and go, great. Because... You have heard about it so much, it no longer affects you. I was talking to my daughter on the way to church, and uh, we were talking about music, and she was telling me one of her favorite songs right now is Dirt, and, and it's a song, a song, country song, it's Dirt, Dirt's the song. And I was like, man, that's a great song about dirt. And, uh, and, and, and we were talking about this song, and she said, yeah, I have songs, I keep them for about two weeks and I listen to them every night, listen, listen, get all the words, and then I stop listening to them because I find another song. And I think that that's a little bit of our culture is that we move to the thing that we think we don't know, but, but what happens is we lose the appreciation for things that we should keep. Because we're always trying to advance ourselves. There's always another Google site to learn from. There's always something. And we begin to, to press forward learning more information, but forgetting about revelation. And the church has to be reminded, come on, listen, that this is an important season for us. So if you haven't said it yet, Merry Christmas. Come on, everybody. Merry Christmas. Online, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And it's important that the church continue to marvel. Today we're going to look at a book that has a prophetic declaration that the prophet Micah spoke over 700 years before the birth of the Messiah, before the birth of Jesus. I mean, come on, that, that's a pretty good introduction. You know, like if God, come on, if you've ever been in a moment, I remember when I was like 25, 24, and I hadn't found Katie yet, and I was asking these questions like, God, who am I going to marry? What are you going to do? And I was asking these questions, and, and some of us are like, man, I wish God would just tell me. 
But if you were passing by Pinnacle and you passed by someone and you, God said, that's them. You're going to marry them. But you're not going to do it for 15 years. It would jack you up. Because you'd be like, oh my gosh, what, I go, when should we meet? What should we do? I go, God, 700 years in advance, says there's going to be the Messiah come, and he's going to be great. And we're going to read the passage in Micah chapter 5 here in just a second. You can go ahead and get ready. But, but here's the conflict for us, is we are now over 2,000 years in the future. And so the event has happened. And we're like, good, good. We'll celebrate this moment by having a manger scene in our home. Good. And I think that if we're not careful, we will miss the miraculous because it's mundane. And the church, I don't expect the world to be excited about Jesus. I don't expect the world, come on, to be excited about a baby in a manger. I expect the church, though, to remember and fight for the value and the miraculous and the important part of this story and that we don't lose heart in a familiar story because it is the hope of the world. Come on, that should have got more amens. Okay, it is the hope of the world, and I'm just going to say the hard thing so that we understand. Your judgment, criticisms, lust, pride, greed, argumentative, criticalness, would all of that sin would have taken you to hell. There would have been no pass go. The baby in the manger changed everything for you because it was the birth of of saving, it was, a, it was the birth of an infant that began to walk a road to save your life, and it matters. Come on, it matters. And so for us, this prophecy, we're going to look at this. The promise of Jesus was fulfilled, and when Jesus entered the world, listen to this, over 300 prophecies were fulfilled. This is kind of a, a big deal. And what it meant is when Jesus left heaven and entered the world, it set the stage for us to be free from the bondage of sin. That's a big deal. Everybody say big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's bigger than the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl. Come on, that, that would be a big deal. Come on, I've been living in the 90s. All I do is play vanilla ice at my house. I live in the 90s. That's it. That's it. That's all I do. That and I, the tiger. Um, it's bigger than COVID. Everybody's talking about COVID. This is bigger than that, and COVID is big. Okay? It's bigger than the iPhone. iPhone's a pretty big deal. It's funny. iPhone made us look at screens, and then they made screen time. It's like you created a problem and now you're trying to solve it. And I don't know about you, but how many of y'all look at your screen and you, your eyes get fuzzy? You're like, oh, they had screen time. It's bigger than iPhones. iPhones are a pretty big deal. Kids don't even know. They're not even saying mom and dad first. The first word out of their mouth is phone. Phone. It's bigger than Amazon. 
Amazon's a big deal. Some of you, this is like, like we have a culture that doesn't leave their house. It's like you're buying oxygen on Amazon. You know what I'm saying? Like you work at home. You stay at home. You're at home. You, you, groceries are coming to your house. Like you've not been outside in a long, long time. And so the, Amazon's a pretty big deal. I'm going to say this, and I, pro- I, I, I don't know. I hope people don't leave our church when I say this. This is bigger than Walmart. And Walmart's everywhere. It's a, it's, a, it's a big deal. And I want us to talk, I want us to marvel for just a second at the promise that God did and he was faithful. Come on, listen to his word. Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from the ancient days. Therefore, he shall give up until the time when he who is in labor has given birth. The rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord God, and they shall dwell secure. Everybody say secure. Let's do it one more time. Secure. There you go. Come on. And now he shall be great. Come on, one more time. Everybody say great. He's going to be great. To the ends of the earth, and there shall be peace. There shall be peace. I want to unpack this for you, and I want to give you a little three chapters is on judgment. God is restoring his people from the effects, listen, of this sounds like uh, uh, where we're, we, we live in our society. We, we, we have so many good things. Y'all know we have a lot of good things. Come on. We have so many good things that because of the good things in our life, it's easy to implode. And find evil, come on, around any corner. And to move away from being faithful believers, come on, to being casual believers. Here's the thing, is toward the end of the book, Micah begins to talk about the restoration of Israel because of the love of God. This is why we should marvel in this Christmas season because God's loving mercy and his grace allowed us, listen, to not get what we deserve. And I need to talk to all of us believers. It is not the correct worldview to always want everyone that has hurt you to get what they deserve. Do you want what you deserve? That doesn't mean that we don't have courageous conversations. It doesn't mean that we don't have accountability. You hear what I'm saying? It doesn't mean that we don't have, but in this idea that we always want someone to be uncovered. We always want God get them. We always want this. The reality is, do you want your last conversation with your wife? Do you want the last moment that you had at your job? Do you want the last conflict with your child? Do you want that on the screen and everybody see it? Because I don't. 
The beautiful part, the marveling part, is that God said, I'm going to handle for the people what they can't do for themselves. And we marvel at a God that has so much power and yet so much compassion. The God of the world who can create and do anything allowed a moment for us to be redeemed and saved, sanctified, and set free. He spoke through the prophet a promise that God would save his people and the Messiah is a gift beyond words. Come on, look at a neighbor and just say he's a gift. Come on, online, he's a gift. And I want to give you three reasons the church should marvel at the fulfillment of the promised Messiah. I know that was a, a, a lot. I tried to make it smaller. Uh, you may just need to take a picture. But I want to make sure that we understand that the church's responsibility is to still marvel. Some of y'all were surprised by that. The church's responsibility, come on, is to still marvel. That's when you would say amen. It's okay. It's okay. The church's responsibility is that we still marvel. Come on. That's good. Thank you for the golf clap. Okay. All right. Me and Tiger. All right. I want to give you three reasons. The first one is this. It is the greatest story ever. It is the greatest. Wait, 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 wait. Real story ever. Everybody say real. As a culture, we love a good story. We love good stories. The box office makes incredible amounts of money for people to pause their life, escape reality, and watch a movie. In fact, we we love stories so much. Can you imagine that the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Marvel movies have made $23 billion, $23 billion dollars, on mythical people. I, I, I'm not trying to come for your, you know, uh, your Thanos sculptor, sure, uh, sculptor or, your, or your Iron Man t-shirt. That's not what this is about. I'm just saying that we love a good story so much that we've exchanged a commodity. We've exchanged our effort. We've exchanged our hourly pay to pay for a story of made up people. While the church is sitting on the greatest real story ever. Real story. See, for us, we use movies as a way to escape reality. But God used this real story so that we would encounter victory in our life. And I would tell you this, if you are trying or you're in a moment where life has been so hard that you are trying to escape a reality, that is an indication that you need an encounter with God. Because whatever you're running into will not fulfill you. Whatever you're running toward will not help you long term. God wants an encounter. It all starts with God revealing to his prophets about a promised king. A king who would, listen to this, leave heaven, be reduced in human form, take on humble means, build a following, lay down his life, produce a spiritual kingdom that would have no end. Israel was under attack and God was like, I got you, I promise. 
I promise I will restore and I will rebuild this nation, my nation, through the Messiah. He was the greatest of all time. Y'all remember when we read, he will be great. He's the goat. We love having the goat conversation. Who is the goat? Who has the greatest of all time? Come on, is it Bill Russell? Is it LeBron? Is it Michael Jordan in basketball, in the NFL? Who is the goat? Is it Jerry Rice, Tom Brady, or Jim Brown? And the reason our society always wants to focus on who the greatest is is because we have an admiration. We want to live vicariously through people, and we want our vote to matter. But here's what I want you to say: know is that the greatest of all time wasn't the goat. It was the lamb. The lamb. I, I, I think that if you look at the, the greatest of all time, that's what goats. Some of y'all are like, what is a goat? Why do they, why do they, well, I don't understand why they always make athletic people animals. And a, a goat is not very athletic. They're kind of stubborn. And I, like, why don't they call him the lion or something, a tiger, the ferocious monkey? I, I don't know. I just like a ferocious, like, like, I don't know, fish, shark, but, but like a goat? The lamb. I believe that God was like, look at my boy. Lamb. Some of y'all like, let me slow that down for you. Like you're speaking a little fast here, pastor. The lamb, look at my boy, was the one that was going to take away the sin of the world and bring you into access not based on your own doing or your cycle issues or the things going on in your life that you would be covered okay now I'm going to tell you this we love stories so much there, there are movies that I don't want to see I'm just going to say that there are movies I don't want to see some of you you're crazy because you like horror movies you're like, I just like me a horror movie. I just like to be scared. I feel better about myself when I'm scared. And like people chasing you with an axe it makes you feel comfortable. Like it does not. Like I, I already, and so, man, man, let me tell you my favorite movie is Purge because I just, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to be scared. I don't want to be pacing my house at night with, My life is scary enough. Come on, somebody. Like, I have, to, I have things in my own life that I'm trying to overcome. I don't need Freddy chasing me at night. Come on, like, like, like I'm not, I don't want to do that. Another thing is, I, I don't want, I, I really don't want to watch a wacky movie. Like a wack, like the show, <laughs> like wacky, like, like anything that has Jack on the movie is like, I don't want to do that. I, I don't, I'm not wacky. I'm fun, but I'm not really goofy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really want to watch that. Here's the thing. My wife, she likes movies, like romantic movies. And I got to tell you, I, I, I do probably about a one a year, one a year. 
because I like action movies so the whole thing can be done in an hour and 15 minutes. It's like, there's a problem, we solved it, we saved the world, done, hour and 15. But with some dramatic movies, um, it's like you're an hour and 15 and you're just on the second deception. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, and this is, and he did this, and she did that, and we have a whole another 45 minutes to go, and I'm like, <gasps> can't do it. It's a lot. With the Christmas story, I think it's pretty important that we realize that you are an active character in this story. Like you're a, you're a part of the story. And so we can't get, the story can't get old. In fact, you're in the story. You're, you're in the story. And I just want you to know that this is the greatest real story of all time. And, and, and we are the ones that are affected by it. You may watch a commercial and have a tear. But this story will change your life. Here's the second one. The second thing is it reminds us that God's extravagant moments are not random. God's extravagant moments are not random. Let's marvel at the idea of the plan and preparation that God put into play to make all of this happen. Jesus the Messiah doesn't come through government. He doesn't come through some line of nobility. He doesn't rise because of social status like his TikTok game is like super important. God the Father is issuing a great prophecy that shows us that he is the author of extravagant moments. And the book of Micah, with its up and downs, tells us how God is going to intervene with Israel. In fact, the context begins to come alive when we look at the text. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And in the text it says that Bethlehem is little, little. This is important for us. I love that the prophet calls out a place. You know, um, it's, it, it, it was always funny when uh, I grew up some, at a church and, and you know, there would be this prophecy, prophetic moment, and they would say, you're going to be good. I think you ought to receive that. It's good. It's good. That's a life-changing prophetic word right there. God's got a plan for you. I received that. It's good. They're dropping details on this thing. Like, here's where you're going to be. Here's where it's going to be. Bethlehem in this city here at this time. I mean, I think that I love the fact that God is not random, but he is specific. And he picked the place. That's like I, my, my son's playing basketball, and so he's super into basketball, and he's watching these old videos of these basketball players who would yell to the bench and say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, Larry Bird, I'm going to take this shot, and then I'm going to fall in your lap when I make it. And everybody's like, oh, my God. God did exactly what he said he would do. Listen to what I'm saying. He did exactly what he said he would do. God the Father used this extravagant moment. I love in Bethlehem, 
it, it says that it's little. In other words, it talks about its size. It talks about its significance. The name Bethlehem means bread. The name Ephrathah means fruitful. God was born, and we know that Jesus was the bread of life. Come on, somebody. And Jesus said, if you follow me, you will bear much fruit. In me, you cannot bear fruit. And it's interesting that God birthed Jesus at a place where it would be the bread and fruitfulness. Come on. In this book, Micah shows us, it emphasizes the little city and a great ruler. Little city and a great ruler. And, and I think about this. I think about the little insignificant least of these moments in our lives. I mean, you think about David, King David. Um, he, he was the least of his brothers. Think about Gideon. He was the least in his tribe. In fact, when the angel interrupted Gideon in the threshing floor, the angel said, mighty man of valor. And Gideon looked, who are you talking about? You ain't talking to me because I'm the least. Esther was the least likely to be queen. And I'm thinking of Bethlehem. And I think that God has a message for us. For it was foretold that a king would come out of Bethlehem that would be greater than David. And kings are born by men in great places like Jerusalem. With bloodlines of nobility. But every king failed to bring lasting hope. But yet here is the Messiah who is going to be king, born of the work of God, born in a lowly place of humble means who would bring victory and defeat the enemy where hope would last, come on, forever. Here's the application. God doesn't need fame or power, or prestige in order to do something significant in your life. Hear me. God has the power to turn a little into a lot. And I don't know who I'm talking to today. But maybe you, the biggest thing that you're going to take out of today is that you need to stop speaking negative over your little and know that God can do a lot with a little. Come on, hear what I'm saying. Maybe you have maybe you have disregarded or overlooked some things that you have in your life and God can God is saying to us, y'all don't know what I can do with a little. Christmas for us means the exceedingly and abundant moments can happen. And so here's what, if we dive deeper, we can trust God's word. God is able. God has a plan. His agenda will be accomplished. He will not be defeated. Come on, listen, or overrun. And I need to talk to some of you who believe that the Democrats and the Republicans and the liberals and the progressives and the Tea Party and the way, like, ah! God is going to establish and God is going to fulfill every promise. That doesn't make us neutral. It just doesn't make us scared. Do you understand that? You're not hearing me say be passive. What you're hearing me say is don't stay jerked up. What? What? 700 years he had a prophecy. It happened just the way it is. 
those things happen? Can you marvel at the fact that you serve a God that it doesn't matter what the enemy does, he wins? Come on. Every time the enemy goes left, he goes right. Every time, listen, can you just marvel at the fact that God will not be beat? God is going to have his will done. Christ was born in a small city, in a city, and there was no crowd. Nobody was visiting Bethlehem. There were no cool timeshares. Come on, hear what I'm saying? Nobody was, hey, come to this wonderful uh, seasonal beauty where the, the timeshare, come on. Come to Bethlehem. There was none of that. In fact, people were like, what good could come from Bethlehem? Marvel at the gift beyond words. Reject the idea that nothing can happen in your life. You are not stuck. Come on, listen to what I'm saying. You are not stuck. There is a plan. You are right in the middle of it. And I'm not sure what chapter. Listen, you are on. But your story is not finished. It's not finished. Another thing that I love is the fact that a magnificent God was born in a simple place. See, Christmas is wonderful, but, but I just want you to know, you don't have to be jerked up over the budget and how much you're going to spend at Christmas. And you don't have to, oh my gosh, i got to get everything, and then, and then here's the deal. I know I've got to stress about it because I know that whatever I get them, they won't like, but if I don't get them something, they won't like me. And so it's just, it's like, ah! And I work hard to try to take complex truths and make them simple so that you can walk out and understand them. The first year I was a pastor, people would come up and they would give me that compliment. You're so simple. You don't know how to handle that. You're like, thank you. Is that like one step above dumb? It's simple. But then I realized I, I, I'm working hard to break down things so that you can take them and grow and and, and walk out, and, and I hope that I say things that you're like, wow, like that's how I feel. I just never put it in those words, or I never stopped long enough to articulate that the way you did, but actually that's exactly how I feel, okay? There is something about simplicity that God wants to teach us, and I'm going to tell you honestly, I love our worship, and we have an excellent worship team. Come on, give them a hand. Come on. We have an excellent. Stephen, y'all are your team. Everybody's doing a great job. I love moments for our youth group. I can't wait for our new building. When, when the first time we do the weekend or the Be The One conference and young people are at the altar being prayed for and ministered, and I love all that, and I can't wait to see all that. But I'm going to tell you, some of my greatest moments now are when I grab my coffee, I grab my Bible, I grab my journal, I sit outside, I play some worship music on my phone, and I begin to talk to the Lord. You hear what I'm saying? And so there is something about simplicity that God wanted to teach the church that I am an extravagant God and I will do things that you can't even understand or comprehend. And there is so much that I can do, but I don't need the pomp and circumstance. And I believe that you could be stopped at a red light hearing a chorus of a song and it utterly begin to do something extravagant. Come on, listen in your life. Listen. 
Don't get so moved by this season that you miss the simplicity. There was no, they weren't, Jesus wasn't born at the Ritz, Carlton. Simple. Maybe the $500 gift is wonderful and it's not, it's not bad if you do it. But don't think that you can exchange an extravagant gift for a simple moment. Because I think sometimes just playing cards with my kids brings more value than buying them something extravagant. Does this make sense? Okay. The third thing, the last thing. Y'all good? Are we good? Okay. The third and the last is this. We're talking about reasons why the church needs to continue to marvel. The third is this. It replaces the emptiness with hopefulness. God's chosen people were hurting. They were discouraged. Their situation was draining and all hope, come on, listen, and emptiness was setting in. The prophet Micah begins to rekindle the fire of hope by saying, here's who the Messiah is going to be. And I want to give you four or five thoughts that are in the scripture verse we just read. It says he's going to be from the old school. Well, actually it says that he's from the old, ancient of days. I just translated that old school, okay? In other words, he's not new to the game. He's been around for a long time. And in fact, we read in John chapter 1, verse 1, that the word was God and is God and was there. Come on, listen, from the beginning. In other words, we're not starting out with a new God. We're starting out with a God that's been around and knows us. Hear what I'm saying? I don't know if you've ever had a job transition where the new guy came in or the new girl came in. And she may have been so, you may have been the new person. So, But sometimes when you lack context and you try to fix culture, there is some tension. We don't have a new God on the scene. He's been here from the beginning. He knows humanity. And he, come on, does it make sense? Okay. What about this? I love this. And he will stand and shepherd his people. He will stand. Maybe you're in the place today and there was nobody that stood for you. Maybe you were tossed between your mom and your dad and you always felt this tension on whose side I'm going to be on. Or, or maybe, you know, in a moment of trouble, you thought people were going to stand for you and, and you found yourself exposed rather than someone standing and I need you to know that God is telling his people in the midst of losing kings and being in wars and all of that, that the Messiah that is to come is going to stand. He's not weak. He's not wimpy. He's not going to cower back behind a monarchy. He is going to stand. Stand. He's standing for you. Shepherding you. In other words, I'm going to stand. I'm not going to apologize for the posture. I'm going to be who God has called me to be. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to walk in the authority given to me by my Father. Come on. And I'll shepherd you. 
but I ain't going to pull you. Let's go this way. Let's go this way. Let's go this way. And you can turn left and you can turn right. But God is a shepherd. He's not going to drag you. Come on. If you're not walking into the principal's office, he's not going to pull you over to victory. You're going to have to be shepherded. In other words, that means I submit. I submit. I submit. And here's the deal. On the other side of that is incredible victory. It says this in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He's a king. There is a yoke. And learn from me. Learn from me. God's not learning from you. We're learning from him. That doesn't mean he doesn't sympathize with us. But we don't educate God. You hear what I'm saying? I love it. The next thing it says, he's got the power. We're about to dance right there. Some of y'all went CMC right there. CMC music. He's got the power. In other words, he's not, he's not like, I don't really know what to do. Like he, do. he doesn't need the affinity stones. Like he's got the power. You feel what I'm saying? And there's not anything that he can face that God cannot overcome. And some of you need to know that he's got the power to heal your marriage if you will let him shepherd you. He's got the power to rekindle that relationship with your young person, with your parents, if you will let him. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I got all the power that I need to do everything I need to do. I love this last one. Come on, listen to this. He is secure. Let's frame that up a little bit. Secure. Have you ever told something to someone and you didn't know what what you said was secure? Like, I'm I'm going to tell you this in confidence, and, and, and I'm hoping that you keep it secure. Or I'm going to, you know, I'm asking you to keep it secure. Listen, God is like the king that is coming, the Messiah that you need is secure. In other words, he cannot be rattled. He cannot be shaken. He will not fall apart. Come on, it's not the rise and the fall of the dollar bill. He is secure. Come on, you can take it to the bank. It's going to work every time. God will do it. Come on, help me. It says this, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Our Christian faith is one of hope. Listen to me. Hope. Remember the old song? My hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and your hope. Is not on who sees you, who likes your post, who comments, who comes to dinner. The, your, the, the, your hope is not on how much money you make or how much money you keep. The hope isn't if your kids turn out the way you ex- expected them, which it's slightly controlling. The, uh, listen, hey, your hope is in the fact that God did what he said he would do, and this is a marvel moment. Come on, man. Come on up. Come on. 
the conditions over the last couple years have caused many people to struggle. I don't care who you are. Even the strongest believer faced disappointment. Watching the news, watching the tornadoes, watching the devastation, watching uh, sickness, watching all of that. We're talking about major events in our life that we've, we've, we've lived through. And it's times like these that your hope can decline. That you love God, you're just not, you've lost some confidence in Him. And I'll tell you this, our hope only comes from God. God has prepared a place for you. It is heaven and there is no more shame. There is no more evil. Come on. There is no more criticisms of how you, you should have done it. Can I tell you this? You can't fix your own soul. You can't. You can try to ignore and override, but you cannot fix your own soul. Because here's what will happen. A song will come on. Something will say something. Your husband or wife or friend or, or neighbor will say something that will trigger something of your past. And you will have a rushing, engulfing feelings of shame, hurt. You'll find yourself being defensive over things that were nothing but you based on your past and background saw them as something it's ironic to think that we can make it through life without God's plan his plan is the plan that we marvel in. And at Christmas, we marvel at the miracle that moves us forward. And, and what moves us forward is this idea that the Messiah, come on, has come. He's come, and it will change your life. Doubt and disappointment lose their power over us because of the promise. We all want a better life. We've all faced trials and need hope. And today, here's the takeaway. Of everything that I've said, here's the point. Marvel that there is a God who cares enough about you, sir, about you, ma'am, that he edited reality. Flip the script to provide a way for you to be free. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the House website. We hope you have a great week.